Do you ever feel like your brain is stuck in a rut? Well, how about the rest of the brains on your team? Let's talk to an expert who knows a lot of practical strategies and tips for unlocking creativity for your business. Ready for some brain zooming? We'll hear from Mike Brown on the Manage Your Message podcast. Welcome to the Manage Your Message podcast, where professionals come for ideas and inspiration to grow by talking about their businesses more effectively and getting lots of other people to do the same. Here is your host, consultant, professional speaker, and author, Jim Carr. Come on in, and thanks for joining us. I'm Jim Carr. At the outset of these podcast episodes, I often like to let you in on why I ask a particular guest to speak with us. With Mike Brown, it was at first it was the socks. See, Mike Brown wears orange socks all the time, as far as I can tell. I was introduced to Mike, his socks, more importantly, his energy and his practical ideas several years ago at an event called the CMO Summit, your chief marketing officers. At the time, we were both marketing leaders for our organizations. Mike's company was much bigger. YRC Worldwide, one of the largest transportation service providers in the world and a Fortune 500 company. There, he led culture change, helped develop new customer insights, and he worked to align sales, marketing, and sponsorships. Now, transportation services might not be an industry that comes to mind for overflowing creativity, but Mike Brown was getting some exceptional results. And we've kept in touch now for more than a decade. Today, Mike runs the Brain Zooming Group, based in Kansas City and serving clients everywhere. They are expert facilitators, helping get the best and most innovative thinking out of diverse teams. Mike is a prolific writer and speaker, and someone I know to be both thoughtful and faithful. Mike has a new book out called Idea Magnets that we need to talk about a lot, and we can also dive into the specific tactics and techniques he uses. I'm confident we will uncover several good ideas that you can use for better strategies for branding, marketing, and sales. Mike Brown, welcome to the Big Messaging Show. Thank you, Jim Carr. Great to be talking to you. You, you fessed up that it's been more than a decade, and we're uh, barely in our 20s, so gosh. Which is amazing. It's, it's great to be such a prodigy, isn't it? It is. It is. Before we talk about your book and some of the practices and things that you, you see with working with businesses of varying sizes, I think there's one thing to clarify a bit. I suspect that when people see or hear the name of your company, Brain Zooming, they probably tend to think brainstorming. What's the difference? Uh, I could trademark brain zooming. I could not trademark brainstorming. That was the, one of the initial differences. The idea for brain zooming as a name really came out of over a number of years trying to put together a set of exercises and tools and resources to help people who weren't necessarily strategists or weren't necessarily marketers perform as if they were. And, I, and as you mentioned, I was doing that in a corporate setting. So I was a, a resource inside the corporation. But as I had started writing about things, and we were, it was testing it in other places, even within the corporate setting. And I was, uh, was doing something at a local university and the professor wanted three ideation exercises and a way to prioritize ideas for his class in about 45 minutes. And I was sitting at my computer on a Saturday, putting this together for the next Monday. And I was just 
thinking. It's like, at that point, that's not even brainstorming. That's brain zooming. And there was this pause and I looked up and I was like, thank you, God. I needed a name for this and uh, Googled it. And people say, well, why isn't it brain zoom versus brain zooming? So, well, brain zoom was, you know, thousands of dollars to get and brain zooming was $9.99 to get. So it became brain zooming. But I think the, the ultimate difference, Jim, is that, you know, and I've had people ask about, well, is there a certain discipline or, or is there a certain school of thought that, you know, developed into brain zooming. And my answer was no, brain zooming really pulls from anything and everything that I can see that I think might help somebody think better, be more successful with their innate knowledge that they have and, and give them a way to express it. So we definitely go from all the way at the, the analysis at the front end to what insights, how do you imagine things, but also how do you implement it as well. And the fact, they say, as it started out on the client side, implementation was always very much first and foremost in mind because it wasn't a, a consulting situation where we came in, did something and left and you know, sort of, hey, good luck, you know, putting that together and making it work. If the things didn't work, I had people showing up in my office saying, why didn't this work? So it's just always incorporated implementation as well. So. You know, the brain part is there's there's a lot of thinking and analysis. It's not just pure creativity. The zooming part is trying to take out steps that at times aren't really productive so that we can move through things quickly. So that's uh, kind of the semi-short version of the brain zooming name and how we contrast with just pure brainstorming. From the outside and being ignorant of, of the intricacies of the process, when I think brainstorming, that is generally designed to just generate a lot of ideas. So it's it's kind of a shotgun approach to getting more stuff on a whiteboard or on a wall, et cetera. But when I think of Zoom, it's acceleration, but it's in a particular direction. So it's it's not just let's come up with a bunch of stuff and then winnow through it. I would imagine it's far more intentional about what we're trying to unlock and accelerate in terms of the, uh, the ideas for the business. Very much so. It- you know, I always tend to look at it as, and we will have clients that really want to rush to, okay, well, we, we're engaging you. Let's get everybody together. And I was like, wait, that's several steps in because that's expensive time. When you bring executives together, even if, even if you're in a corporate setting or a business setting where they're not charging out per hour, everybody's got an hourly rate. They're, they're getting paid something to be there. And it becomes high risk because if it falls flat, then you know, people start looking at each other and going, why did we do that? So we had a session yesterday and I told people, I said, we never start with a clean sheet of paper. The clean sheet of paper happens way up front, but we start filling it in pretty quickly. We'll do surveys, go back through other strategy work that people have done to really say, what do you want to make happen? Where do you want to have an impact in the business? And then you typically take some other steps, whether that's surveys or interviews or online collaboration, to hear from not only the audience that might ultimately participate live in a brainstorming workshop, but as many other voices as we can bring into that room as well and narrow things down so that by the time the actual workshop happens, it's very focused. I was telling this group yesterday they had participated in an online collaboration. I said, you're not going to see a research presentation of what all your answers are. I said, I'm a market researcher and I hate to sit through research presentations. I said, what you're going to see is we picked exercises that reflect where you think the impact should be. 
We picked questions and probes that were tailored around ideas that you had. And we're actually surfacing ideas and we're going to go deeper into ideas you have. I said, that's where you'll see your input so that it isn't all the pressure on the participants or the audience to come up with, uh, okay, there's a blank piece of paper. Let's come up with something. It becomes very easy because we've led them down a path, but it's a path that they've suggested with their input. So it feels familiar. It feels comfortable. And then we put a structure around it that makes it very easy for them to start to share ideas. So. Yeah, it, it's very intentional by the time we bring people together. And in your book that's just out, it's titled Idea Magnets, Seven Strategies for Cultivating and Attracting Creative Business Leaders. You talk about being intentional and being strategic, and it sounds like there are different scenarios of going through this process. Can you talk a little bit about those strategies and what prompted you to write the book? Yeah, the book really came from an evolution or a change I've had to make in my career and myself to a great extent, and actually since we have known each other, as I looked back through my career, I tended to either by chance or by restructure get attached to a lot of people who are just sort of big creative thinkers. Just, I mean, they really are not bounded by anything. And the reason we've worked so well together is I could get their vision, but then I also had the part of my personality and skill set that could translate that into, okay, I hear what you want to make happen. Now I'm going to go figure out the steps and the process to make that happen. And when I would go back either you know, out with my team or with the organization more broadly, I'd bring along some of their cheerleading and, hey, we're going to make this happen and, and be very exciting. And I was very comfortable with that because I was sort of taking, I was taking the lead from somebody else, their vision. And as I started brainzooming and, you know, sort of seeing how the creative team around brainzooming would form, I, I mean, I had expectations going into it that it would be a lot of the same people that I had on the corporate side, but it, it looked different. And I realized I didn't have that big thinker attached to me anymore. And I had clients looking at me saying, okay, well, we're paying you to come up with those ideas. And idea magnets became, I think, things that were already going on in my life and career, but more blatantly saying, I have to be that idea magnet. I can't rely on that person anymore. I've got to engage a team. I've got to engage clients. I've got to help them think big. I have to bring that enthusiasm and that energy to the table. So I described Idea Magnets as basically a book from the road. It was started as I was going through this process and hopefully now being able to share that and translate it to other people who are in similar situations, maybe have been in a corporate setting and you don't view yourself as creative because somebody else has been doing that for you or you've attached to somebody else or, or even independently, you want to create more of a vision but not a vision that's just about you that you want to invite other people to be a part of. So that's, that's really where idea magnets comes from. And I think it reflects a lot of the principles and the structure of what we tried to do in brain zooming is it's not about the brain zooming process and bringing in that process and forcing it on an organization as much as knowing the organization has a culture. They have a way that they do things. They have a way that they're successful and they have, trip-ups that lead them to where they aren't successful. And we try and adapt what we do to fit into their world that 
provides them structure and ideally provides them energy and a way to encourage their ideas. So there's a nice interplay between brain zooming and idea magnets. Idea magnets just allows us to now get that message out to people who may never engage us through a workshop. We're talking with Mike Brown on the Manager Message podcast. Mike, I, as you were speaking there, I was thinking back and I can't remember an engagement that I've ever had with a, with a client and whether it's been with a big team or a small team or even an individual executive that at some point I didn't get the question that really brings in what we know as social comparison. The question is something like, hey, compared to the others that you've worked with or what you've seen, how messed up are we? Or how do we, how does my team stack up with others you've seen? Or, you know, where are we on this process? So it sounds like as you were describing this as being, as you say, tales from the road of helping executives, helping team leaders get a sense of, if it's not formal benchmarking, some scenarios and some ideas of here's probably where you rate in terms of this right now and how it might apply to the business. Is that a fair comparison? Yeah, and it, it's probably not as formal as that, but I mean, that has been, for me, a really interesting change. So I was in one place for 18 years, and we bought other companies, and I, I got exposure there, and we had a lot of really fabulous consultants come through. So it wasn't as if I was you know, stuck away for 18 years and didn't know what was going out in the real world. But the direct exposure to other companies was somewhat limited. So let's take this, and I think there's an idea, a, a big idea around uh, innovation. So that certainly is a buzzword, and it's a goal that I see at organizations of all types, whether they be for-profit, not-for-profit, professional services practices, and the like. And I see innovation is not, as you said, starting with some blank sheet of paper or a blank whiteboard or getting in a room and just thinking deeply if there's something that will arise that's completely unique. I think in practice, innovation seems to be more of let's look at something that has worked in one domain and then apply it into a new domain. And I was interested, you had a post recently on your website. I scribbled down here. You wrote, if a successful brand is disrupting successfully, then copy its disruptive business model. And in the post, you mentioned a specific example of J.P. Morgan Chase, which was looking for a new pricing strategy. They referenced Amazon Prime. So I'm interested in your thoughts there about not being a copycat, but how do you look broadly for ideas and, and ways to rethink your model? How might an organization look to other companies so that it's not a it's not a force fit, it's not derivative, but it may be an, an innovation that they can apply to their business. Yeah, I think Jim, with innovation, so many companies start by looking at their competitors and saying, "Okay, well, what are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing?" And I don't know that that's the best place to start. I mean, I think you want to have a sense of are you competitive in the marketplace, but I strongly suggest with organizations to look outside your industry for what other organizations are doing in other industries, because you can look at their models. You can look at what they're offering and then look at bringing that over into your industry with some point of comparison of, of how it's working for somebody else, but it could be absolutely new in your industry. You know, to go back to a transportation example, FedEx 
well-known transportation brand and, and really started with everything's guaranteed in the business to business, larger shipping portion that we were in, nobody was offering a guarantee. So we looked at FedEx and said, you know, if they're doing this, we can bring that over to our part of the industry. And this is something revolutionary. And then we added some other things into it of, you know, not only is it guaranteed, but you as a shipper can dial in exactly when you want it there and exactly what condition of that delivery. So it was a great example of that wasn't new. It wasn't even new to our industry, but it was new to that part of an industry and really started to set us apart. So, you know, you mentioned the Chase and Amazon example. I think that was a great one. And that came from the, the CEO at Chase talking about that, that if Amazon Prime was out there, what would that look like in our industry? And I, I think there's just tremendous opportunities to, whether it's sort of consciously, let's pick analogous companies to ours that sit in other industries, but maybe have gone through growth patterns or development or changes in strategy that are similar to us that you can go to school on. Or we actually use exercises that help people come up with what those analogous situations are ideate and then bring it back into their business. But yeah, I think don't look at your direct competitor and go copy what they do, but look at other models in other places because there is a lot of potential to bring things in. Even if management teams think their business is unique, it isn't unique. There's places to learn in other industries. And those innovations happening in other industries, to me, they become mixed in this whole stew of customer expectations. So you might see yourself, for example, as, as you were talking about some examples earlier about being in a business-to-business space, and yet when people are looking for solutions and offerings for a business, their experience as individual consumers comes into the mix. I mean, we, we all have more expectations these days about visibility into processes, about levels of customer service, about speed, pricing, all of those things come in. And so there are always, to my thinking, there are the long-standing problems with being stuck in your own industry, in your thinking. So you tend to use the language of your industry over time rather than the language of your customer. You tend to make the similar assumptions. They're just lingo and acronyms and assumptions that, that get dusty over time that might need to be revisited. That's always a trap, it seems to me. But these days, with things happening so much faster and the lines get blurred, whether you're thinking B2B, B2C, but just overall, their technology makes things more possible and customer expectations keep rising, right? Yeah, absolutely. It made me think of, there was an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal. I wrote about it for a newsletter. I don't, I'm not sure it was on the Brainsuming blog, but they were talking about because of Uber, people have forgotten how to ride in cabs. They said people are, people are getting into cabs and looking at the driver and the driver's like, where do you want to go? And they're realizing, oh, I didn't use the app to tell you. Or there was one where the guy was walking out with a water bottle at the end of the ride and realizing, oh, that was left over by another passenger that wasn't supplied by the driver. <laughs> or forgetting that they've got to hand over some cash or a credit card because they didn't already pay. So in the same industry, but, but just beyond language, showing that if you've got a disruptive, innovative brand that's changing the experience, it's going to have ripple effects back on you, even if you're metaphorically in bed with the covers pulled over your head going, we will not change, we will not change, we will not change. 
that consumer experience, whether it's consumer to consumer or consumer back into business, because individuals make business decisions, you know, look around at, at who's setting the, the tone on customer experience, and it's going to have ripples back into your industry and back into your business, probably with a high degree of probability, for sure. We are recording this in the early fall, and for most businesses that are on uh, fiscal and calendar years kind of come together, this is dun, 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 strategic planning time, right? So you kind of crank up the process and making forecasts and making plans and updating last year's plans and wondering why last year's plans didn't happen. So I think it's a very opportune time for us to chat about this, Mike. You work with a lot of companies and have seen their strategic planning processes at lots of different levels. You know, maybe it, it when done well, it can be energizing and innovative. My suspicion is that in most organizations, large and small, the the planning process is just kind of a trudge up the mountain, right? It's just it's the thing we do and let's get together the charts and the president and get in a room and all that sort of thing. From your standpoint, are there common ruts? Are there common practices that aren't terribly effective or efficient and, and things that you see where organizations through the strategic planning process itself can, can break out? Yeah, and I, on the problem side, tend to group it into three broad categories. First being that someone is missing. And the traditional sense of strategic planning starts with the senior management team, and they're responsible for it, and it's too many of the same people in a room trying to figure out strategy. You know, that becomes too narrow, and a lot of senior management teams and organizations are very homogenous. They've grown up in that organization, or they've grown up along very similar paths. It's interesting, you're talking about planning season. What we found is planning is now happening throughout the year. It, it is, it's much, much less structured than even 10 years ago when I was in a corporate setting. And this absolutely was the time you started worrying about it. But we had a workshop earlier this year with a, a company in the B2B world, and there were 25 executives across the organization. And I looked around and it was 25 white baby boomers and Gen Xers. And I looked at him and I said, I don't, I don't need 25 of, you're all the same person. And the CEO is like, we are. And it's like, they invited those people because what's a strategy meeting? So we invite based on an org chart. And I challenged them to say, bring in other people. Nobody said that it just had to be you. You, you can break that down. You guys make those rules. You can break those rules. So someone is missing is, is, you know, it's just too narrow. You, you don't have a view of the organization or the, all the audiences. Second is something is missing. I think a lot of times organizations look at strategy as that's our long term and we have templates and we have jargon and we fill out SWOT analysis and they, they do things that seem like planning that get disengaged from the day to day and what really is important for the company. So we always tell people strategy isn't long term. Strategy is what's important for the organization. And that may be this afternoon. It may be five years from now. But don't disengage strategy from the core of the business. You should be hitting those issues. And then the third problem is that outcomes are missing. So strategic planning is the thing that, oh, crap, we have to do it now. And it, it you know, it best is viewed as an interesting conversation. But because it's separated from the daily activities, you 
can't really tie the results back to it. And it, and it becomes, as you said, that trudge up the mountain that we do same time every year, but we never really see any impact of it. So that's where from the client side, I tried to break that down because I'd seen a lot of consultants come in and work with us at very defined processes that worked when they were there. But the minute they left, we didn't have anything left. I still had the same people. All the really smart consultants were gone. And so our philosophy or my philosophy to this was let's take advantage of bringing in more voices, make sure that we don't have people missing. Let's really focus it on what's going to move the business next year. And I don't really care about things that aren't going to move the business unless we say, wow, there's a real potential there and tie it very directly to what are you working on? What are going to be the important things and not take this attitude of, wow, we got through strategic planning. Now let's go back to everything else we do. That, if, if that's the case, that process is broken. This has been the first half of my conversation with Mike Brown of the BrainZooming Group. We talked about innovation and how to find it, including finding it in industries and domains other than your own. Also, I liked how Mike talked about three major misses in standard strategic planning processes that someone or someone's important are missing, something is missing, and outcomes are missing. In the next episode, we'll talk more specifically about what an effective, even engaging, and dare we say fun, strategic planning process can look like for you and how great leaders drive planning that generates results for the long term. Hope you've been enjoying the podcast as we're getting this started. And if you're finding it valuable, then please do let your friends and colleagues in on it. I hope that you will subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode and that you will rate and review it, that's important. There are a couple of free resources I wanted to let you know about as well. I share the Message Manager Memo on a weekly basis. It's free and concise and actionable, an email newsletter that goes out again every week with ideas and tips that you and your team can put into use right away. I also have a white paper on the five roadblocks to effective customer conversations and how you can get around them. Both of those free resources are available on our new and improved website, jimcar.com. That's J-I-M-K-A-R-R-H. And if you have any problems finding anything, you can email me directly at jim at jimcar.com. You can also use that if you have any ideas and suggestions on the podcast. Let's talk again soon. Thanks for joining us on the Manage Your Message podcast with Jim Carr. You'll find show notes and other resources at managermessagepodcast.com and jimcarr.com. Please help us serve you and other message managers by subscribing to, rating, and reviewing this podcast. And connect with Jim on LinkedIn and on Twitter at Jim Carr. Until next time, we hope your business message is shared well and often.